0: Hello, and welcome to The Next Year in Payments, a podcast series brought to you by Linklaters. This is the second installment of a two-part episode on innovation around payment systems. As we discussed last time, there's increasing demand for payments to be instant and frictionless, whether domestic or cross-border. Achieving this requires improvements to the underlying payment rails, not just the interfaces that sit on top of them. I'm Richard Hay, and I'm joined today by Michael Voizen. So we've already discussed some of the pain points with legacy systems and ongoing work by central banks and others to upgrade them. Today, we'll be discussing initiatives to create parallel closed loop payment systems that don't rely on any legacy infrastructure, including so-called stablecoins. So, Michael, what on earth is a (laughs)
1: stablecoin? Richard, thank you. Uh, Well, that's a good question. The the challenge with some digital currencies is that it is that they have no intrinsic value and people therefore struggle to agree a value of it and it's not really therefore a particularly effective means of payment transfer or value transfer from one party to another because the price can change so quickly. Stablecoin is an attempt to create a digital asset that has a value that's anchored in, in another value that is known to or accepted by people. And that can come in many, many different forms. It can, it can come without a legal underwriting. So there's an understanding that, that it, there are arrangements in place to support the value of the Bitcoin. For example, people may make a market in it if its value goes above or below a certain level. So there's always someone you know you can buy it from or sell it to, to get a stable value out of it. In other examples, they may be backed by actual cash. That cash can be deposited with a bank, so a bank type of stable coin, or it could be deposited with a central bank and for example, security created over it, or it could even be an obligation of a central bank, a so-called digital currency. In each case, different legal techniques are used to ensure that the value of the stablecoin is extrinsically linked to the underlying value that people are trying to follow or, or to track. Uh, likewise, it, it need not be a cash or a currency, it could be a, a commodity with a known value, for example, such as gold. You could have a stablecoin linked to the value of gold or some other commodity. All that happens then is that the value of the stablecoin fluctuates in accordance with the value of that other asset that is linked to.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? You know, it almost brings us to the well-known statements around those that don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And, and you know, there are queries there as to whether or not some of these arrangements, for example, are reminiscent of, of the gold standard or indeed the evolution of the banknote.
1: That's an interesting question. With a stablecoin, you're always going to have to link it to some sort of value. And then the the question is, the people are exposed to whatever value they want to agree agree to it. A separate question is whether the uh, digital asset, the stablecoin, has the hallmarks of cash and whether people will start using it and trading it just like cash. And that creates a whole load of regulatory concerns and questions. So, Richard, perhaps you could Tell me what's really weighing down a regulator's minds about the potential uses of of stablecoin in this area.
0: Well, it's interesting, Michael. So the G7 Working Group on stablecoins released a a report a couple of weeks ago outlining various different key risks and and challenges that need to be addressed by any stablecoin project before launch. Number one was achieving legal certainty. And in particular, so achieving a well-founded, clear and transparent legal basis For the launch of the the stablecoin so again the the question arises as to exactly what is the coin and what is the legal mechanism whereby that stabilization is is achieved what is that stapling method that achieves stability but there are also a host of other very fundamental questions including Conflicts of laws issues, very important in the context of global systems, but also the legal underpinning of transfers on the system. So if I transfer a coin to you, Michael, and and I go bust while the asset is being transferred, what are the legal consequences of that. And and that is often referred to as as settlement finality, for example. There are broader questions as well, non-legal questions that pertain more to the monetary policy, financial stability and and competition areas, which are obviously very fundamental issues and and all of which have been flagged by the G7 as necessary to be resolved prior
1: to launch. And yes, you talked earlier about settlement finality. And another interesting question is uh, if you look at the the nature of cash, and you you said these coins are becoming more like cash. Well, a feature of cash is it's, it's what's called fungibility that can be exchanged. If I deliver you a, a note with a serial number on it, you don't have to return that same one to me. If I lend it to you, you just pay me back the currency I've lent you. But the question of stable coins is, do they have the similar hallmarks of that fungibility or indeed concepts of negotiability? So that if someone were to take my stablecoin and deliver them to a third party, and then you bought those in good faith from the third party, do you own them or are they still mine? Yeah, those
0: questions are really fundamental. So taking, you know, very practical examples, if I buy something from you, Michael, and I transfer cash to you, do you need to figure out if I obtained that cash legally or if I stole it?
1: And the answer is no, because it's fungible. That's the
0: fungible, fungible nature of cash. I agree. It really comes down to the question whether or not a stablecoin can be money. And that question fundamentally it boils down to whether or not the market treats it as money. But before we even get onto that question there are more fundamental questions still and notably can you ever actually own a stablecoin michael
1: That's a bit of a loaded question because there's been a very very significant step recently the UK jurisdiction task force A body that Richard, I know you sit on, looking at very relevant issues and challenges of technology and the impact of English law on that, having created some legal certainty, has actually recently published a uh, legal statement on the status of crypto assets. And very helpfully, it's clarified the fact that English law should recognise crypto assets as capable of constituting property under English law. And that the smart contracts that we so often see embedded in crypto assets are being capable of formed as contracts valid and binding under English law in much the same way as any other conventional contract. Now, the UK JT legal statement focused very much on native crypto assets, assets without any rights specifically stapled to them in the form of stable coins is one example. So it didn't specifically consider stable coins. And it also didn't look at the more permissioned networks that you'd expect to see in a conventional uh, payment system. But it's formed the basis of a legal analysis that people can use to go forwards in designing uh, more sophisticated payment systems and payment solutions based on the digital ledger technology, cryptography and the like. The statement isn't exhaustive in terms of it doesn't address all of the issues and it's expected they will expand on a case-by-case basis, but it provides a really, really affirmatory statement that English law will recognise this sort of innovation, will create a very, very stable legal framework going forwards, and will form a solid foundation on which to build and, and develop new systems that have market recognition. And fundamentally a lot of it looks at the fact that where the market and people in commerce accept something, practically speaking, as value, then the English law will recognise that and give value to, it, which is a fantastic achievement and a great result for English law.
0: Just so I understand, Michael, so if I took Bitcoin or launched a network that was equivalent to Bitcoin, the JT statement says I can own that crypto asset. Now, if I then attached to that crypto asset which I can own, an obligation, let's say, with every crypto asset to pay back or to pay a certain amount... Then surely, under English law, that conclusion shouldn 't change, right
1: well you're right in a sense you 've got two legal assets you 've got the bitcoin or other crypto asset, whichever it is that is the transferable, that the uk JT says will be recognized as property, and then you have the second legal instrument, the act of stapling the payment obligation to that cryptocurrency and, and so you 're absolutely right, Richard. Uh, it seems to me that that is a legally enforceable right that attaches to the transfer of the crypto asset and so that would also ought to achieve the crypto assets property and the legal right attached to it is also a property capable of owning and being owned in much the same way so yes the legal statement provides a route to the creation and recognition of stable coins as you suggest and that actually takes us on to the ultimate stable coin of all central bank digital currencies and perhaps you could tell us a bit about those and how you see the development of central bank digital currencies
0: So, needless to say, this is an absolutely fascinating area and one which, if you talk to any central banker, they're very quick to say, oh, we couldn't possibly talk about this in public, but we're all fervently working on things in the background, doing a whole host of macroeconomic research, etc. So, the one slight exception to that is the Chinese central bank has come out very publicly to say that they expect to launch a form of digital currency very shortly. Now details are relatively scarce and the market has been debating for some time now as to whether or not that will really be a stable coin or reliant on a technology other than DLT or blockchain so I don't think we can say much more than let's wait and see what happens in that space but make no mistake this is an area of huge focus and a huge interest both from a policy perspective and a market perspective.
1: And and digital currencies have some really attractive legal features because they can be created by laws and given instantaneous legal effect so that all questions over legal certainty, whether they constitute property or not, just disappear and they form part of a currency. They will be fungible and be accepted just as much as cash. The other really interesting feature is with a digital currency, the nature of the obligation can be changed slightly. For example, if it accrues interest, that pays interest a rate on it, that can be changed immediately and potentially have some quite significant impacts on monetary policy. It's a really fundamental point as
0: well because so much of the debate in this space is as to whether or not it's appropriate for a central bank to issue a digital currency. In a sense, they have already issued a currency in the form of banknotes and the only difference between a central bank digital currency and a banknote is the wrapper. But as you point out, Michael, with that digital wrapper, come a number of really interesting features from a a monetary policy perspective. But I think from a central banker's perspective, they're also worried about the risks inherent in launching a central bank digital currency. So it's absolutely the case that I could turn up to my bank tomorrow and ask for them to liquidate my entire savings account, and I could keep that under my mattress. And that is exactly why we have bank runs. But it will probably have to get to quite an extreme case for me to do that because of the risk associated with having a lot of cash under my mattress. If central banks make it very easy to hold a claim directly against the central bank and which faces no credit risk, one of the main concerns of central bankers is that that will exacerbate bank runs in this space.
1: Because why would I put my money with a bank which might go insolvent when I could put my money with a central bank and and eliminate the risk of insolvency? Exactly right the jury
0: is very much still out there on whether or not these types of initiative will come to replace existing systems or or indeed gain significant market share to really take off in a meaningful way. And that wraps up our episode on payment systems. So do please get in touch with us if you have any questions about payment systems. Thank you for listening and goodbye.